Cold Open for the Cold Stove Podcast, live from the road this week. NRD from Parts Unknown, myself in upstate New York. And NRD, it is 53 degrees, crispy this morning. Uh, a little chill in the air when I was taking out uh, my sister's dogs and having a uh, little bit of a, a hangover from last night, celebrating my dad's life up in Saratoga Springs. But man, does it feel good to have fall back in our lives. It feels great. I don't want to tell you what the temperature is where I'm at because then, you know, the internet sleuths will figure it out. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to say it's fall here too. So I'm excited (laughs) for that. I love this time of year. It's my favorite time of year. Enough with the 97, you know, 98 degree heat, enough with the the humidity, enough with all that bullshit. Happy to be here. It's fall y'all, but you know more, you know what it is more importantly? Hockey season, baby. It's hockey season. Exactly. So the best time of year, it's like Christmas, but Christmas is coming up in less than like, 80 days or something like that they say so. best time of year it's fun i you know i'm sure all fans are the same and i'm i'm a fan first podcast host and, and business development representative second um but seeing the the rosters come out for training camp 50 guys 60 guys at these camps i forget how big they are and how you know only 23 guys make the team so you basically have two and a half teams out there in some cases and man it's fun to see Guys who won't be in the NHL for three or four years, prospects like Matt Savoy, for example, in Buffalo, tearing it up with whatever group he's playing with. It's fun to see that it provides hope for organizations that haven't been traditionally uh, successful. And it provides, you know, opportunity for fans to get looks at teams that are going to dominate. It's, it's just fun all around. But first uh, first impressions, anybody taking, taking across the league right now, uh, for the first couple days of, of training camps here, yeah, I mean, the team I'm most surprised with what I've seen, you know, the the maturity in their media day and what they, you know, what's out there from their quotes and everything, and and so far the clips that are coming from on ice is the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, oh, they just man. look, yep. they look like they're going to be really, really good this year. They're going to surprise some teams. You know, I, I don't think any of us for one second doubted Steve Eiserman and what he was going to build there. It's just kind of scary, exciting for the rest of the league to see how quickly things have turned around there in Detroit. And when you listen to, you know, Larkin, who's a seasoned veteran there and is the leader of that team, but then when you got younger guys like Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond and and Bertuzzi, who are just continuing to get older and more mature, um, and then some of the younger guys that they're infusing into that lineup as well, they have the goaltender in place. You know, I, I actually am – if I was a team in the Atlantic and the Eastern conference, I'd be scared of Detroit right now. Um, just because I of mean, what they could potentially do. And then you throw Andrew Kopp in the mix and a healthy Jacob Vrana. And, and all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden that's a team, man. We, I, we, we talked about them enough last week. The Detroit and Ottawa are going to be no secret this year that when, when they end up with 90 points mm-hmm. and fighting for playoff spots. So, but fun to see that, um, a team that's not having as much fun this preseason is the Philadelphia Flyers. NRG. What can you tell us about just guys not being able to play this year and potentially career-threatening injuries? Yeah, so Sean Couturier, you know, obviously our good friend of the show, Anthony Sanfilippo, reporter, did another uh, had another back injury during, you know, off-ice training. Not ideal, mm-hmm. not great. Um, it's looking like it'll be about 10 weeks of recovery time right now as is. That's without surgery. If he does need surgery, which he is not out of the woods yet on that, 
it's season ending for Sean Couturier, most likely. Doesn't help when the Flyers have dealt with the injury bug over the past three or four years, including, I mean, you can go back to guys like Nolan Patrick who aren't even in the organization anymore. Guys in Philly just getting hurt, not able to get on the ice. And and it's a tough place to be. And especially if you're like, if you're John Tortorella coming into that situation right now, um, and you don't really know what you have because the team's not at full strength and that really hurts. And one of those big pieces, and we've talked about him on the show millions and millions of times is Ryan Ellis, right? A guy who yep. the Philadelphia Flyers acquired a couple off seasons ago, played for a few games and just never made it back on the ice for Philadelphia. You know, I think that that's going to end up being a career ender. I don't think he's going to touch the ice again in his NHL career. We've you know been saying that for a while, right? Uh, on the cold stove podcast, but I um I, I don't see it. He's got the hip injury. He's got the shoulder injury. He's got the this injury, the that injury, the leg, the groin. I think there's just a deteriorating bo- deteriorating body there in Ryan Ellison. You know, if if you're Philly, it really hurts, right? Because you made these moves. You bring in a Tony D'Angelo. You bring in Nick Delorier, and those are moves that would lead credence to hey, Couturier's healthy, and you know Ryan Ellis might be back, and we're gonna try to compete. We might be middling, you know in that five to six seed range, but we're going to try to compete and win games now without those guys in the lineup. It, it really, you know, not that we didn't question Chuck Fletcher's moves as is, but now you really start to question them because it's like Tony D'Angelo plus a skeleton squad, you know, and Nick Delorier plus a skeleton squad in Philly. And, you know, you got Cam Ak- Atkinson who's an exciting player, but there's a lot more unanswered in Philly as we've known. But even worse now, when you compound the injuries of Sean Couturier not being able to play, you know, at least for the start of this year, if not the full year, Ryan Ellis never going to play again. Like, you know, dire straits for Philadelphia. And we've said this all along. I don't think Chuck Fletcher, you know, makes it out of this much longer. Yeah. And, and a guy like Joel Farabee, too, uh, who underwent a disc replacement in his neck. And we've seen that, you know, it's going to be called the Jack Eichel someday. Yeah. Like Tommy John. But, um, more and more guys doing that. I'm sure those have been injuries that have been around for a long time and guys just play through them or try to rehab them. Now we're seeing more and more guys as, as obviously they become more and more successful and common, but that's another guy who's coming off of surgery and just all of a sudden in Philly and we can, we can hop right into the Metro. Mm -hmm. It's, it kind of feels, I wouldn't say rudderless because they bring in torts to very much provide a rudder paddle if you will um but man it's it's just hard to start off a year with that level of adversity just from guys being out of the lineup and, and feeling like you're gonna get ryan ellis back at some point and then he's then he's hurt and feeling like couturier is about to have a big year and kind of a fresh start towards coming in and now he's out for a while at, at the very least it's it's tough times in philly um, and and some wake, of the best fans in the league, but my goodness, it's tough to see that. Do you wake up on, you know, today, Friday, September 23rd, that's when we're recording this, don't know when you're listening to it, but do you wake up this morning if you're John Torrello thinking, what am I doing this for? I mean, you kind of have to have, yeah. right? Sure. Because now you're, if you really think about it, now you're tied to Chuck Fletcher. Now I understand he's got a longer contract than Fletcher right now. But your your Chuck Fletcher's higher. Well, you're not really. We've reported that you know there's a search firm involved in all that, so you're not completely Chuck Fletcher's higher. But you are tied to this regime in Philly. You know, if things go south quickly, Tortorella might be a very quick victim of circumstance in Philly. And I'm not here to say he's on the hot seat right now. 
They're going to give him a chance to turn it around. I think if Fletcher will be well gone before Tortorella gets the boot in Philly, but like you're kind of tied to that, you know, this era of the Philadelphia Flyers, you know, how do you not stand back if you're Tortorella and think, you know, what did I really get myself into right now? Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And his remedy for that, if he doesn't have the horses in the barn, is just the horses that he does to condition the hell out of them. They're going to play hard. They're going to be physical. And they're just going to try to beat teams up. Because if, if they don't have their most skilled players, you've you got to win ugly. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be relying on Carter Hart, you know, who credit to him, a little bit of a bounce back last year. I wouldn't say he's all the way back to that that incredible form. He kind of ripped the tear the lead by storm up initially and then had the year where he couldn't stop a beach ball, right? So mm-hmm. you just kind of don't know in, in Philadelphia. And I feel for him because, man, the fans are great there. They love good hockey. They love they, – they're very knowledgeable. Um, so it's just – it's kind of tough to start off the year with the momentum going anywhere but forward. And you, you feel for those guys because there's a lot of good guys in that locker room. Like we mentioned, Kevin Hayes. Shoot, you have Van Riemsdyk still there. He's he's only 33. It feels like he's 40 mm-hmm. with all he's been through, right? So, you know, they still have guys, and I don't want to count anybody out, especially with the, you know Travis Konechny on your team. And guys are coming up. Like Bobby Brink is going to be exciting, especially with some of the Delorier to make Bobby Brink Cam two York. inches taller. Cam York coming mm-hmm. in. Like, they're, they're, there's, it's not a covered bear situation with, Chicago or Arizona, right? Like, it's not something like that. Mm-hmm. But man, it's it's going to be interesting. And hoping the best for Ryan Ellis, hoping the best for Couturier and Farabee coming off injuries. But hopefully they get some momentum going. And who knows? Maybe Tortorella is that's sort of the negative momentum he needs to instill a message and say, "Hey, the world's against us. Things aren't going our way." Before we even step on the ice, well, guess what? That changes now. Yeah, that changes now. We can only control what we can control, and it's not happening during the season when they're twenty points out of it. Everybody's tied right now, and so maybe that's the message you go with and yeah. see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, let's keep it in the metro, NRD. This is sort of the metro slash Pacific preview. If you want to listen to the Atlantic slash Central, please go listen to the episode from last week of Cold Stove Podcast. But outside of Philly, the Metro is, I'd say, down in terms of how they pride themselves with perennial absolute powerhouse teams in Washington and Pittsburgh and New York and New York, double that up, Mm -hmm. and Carolina. That's sort of been the sway in the Eastern Conference over the last, I don't know, decade plus. And now the Atlantic like we talked about last week, sort of provides that powerhouse engine. But there are teams like New York and like Carolina that will always have something to say about that. So let's start in Carolina. They come off the series against New York last year. Kind of wondering, what are we? I mean, this team has been built for these situations, and they can't crack that next level. Mm-hmm. Are you as worried about that Carolina fatigue as I am, NRD? I am. I think they've 
they tr- they tried to address it this offseason by bringing in, you know, Brett Burns, a guy who's been around the league and has that, you know, he's an excitable guy, but he's also, he's seen it all. He's done it all. So he brings a presence to that blue line that some other guys don't have there. I think he's a lot in the vein of Jordan Stahl, who's kind of like seen some shit, been through some shit. Like he's been around the league. He's going to instill that kind of mentality to the blue line there in Carolina. But we saw what they lacked in the, in, in that series against the Rangers they lacked scoring. They couldn't score on the power play. They weren't as deep as we thought they were when they lost Seth Jarvis in game seven. Things just kind of ended, right? Like he goes out with that concussion on the hit from Jacob Truba. And there goes their depth up the middle, a team that we thought was pretty strong. You know, they, they were kicked tires on Claude Giroux at the deadline. They didn't get it done. But we thought they were strong enough there to, you know, overcome. They couldn't. They lost, you know, Freddie Anderson did not play in the postseason struggled there they bounced around between you know auntie ronta who got hurt and then uh peter kochkatov right kochektov right was kochektov the, the, the interesting gloved goalie kochektov. Yep. was in the net you know for that game seven where he got lit up by the rangers so yeah i think there's a little bit of a carolina hangover you're gonna see this year for for five or six seasons now they've been in the thick of things but haven't been able to get over that hump i think we're at the point now where Carolina is not as, you know, top heavy as the Colorado Avalanche were this past year. But I think they're quickly getting into that territory of the Colorado Avalanche two years ago that we mentioned in the last episode of there's only so many times we could say this team's a real contender where they fall short in the second or third round before it's like, all right, like you you might be great on paper, but something's going to have to give. Like you can't keep getting up to that mountain and not, you know, going over the other side. I think Carolina is no. quickly approaching that territory where it's like win now, or they might have to be some changes made in Carolina with the system or the way they play hockey. Cause it hasn't been enough to get it done in the playoffs. And they, I mean, they added the win now pieces. Like you mentioned, Brent Burns comes in, Paul Stastny comes in. Mm-hmm. How much, how, how good of a year does he have left in his body? He's only 36 and by all accounts keeps himself in tremendous shape. So I don't think I'm worried about that necessarily, but now it's, we couldn't do it necessarily with that tier of guys where a lot of really good players and no superstar to turn to on the power play. Does Aho become that this year? Does Taravainen take another step? Does Fetchnikov take a step? Like they have a lot of guys that if if one if one of them takes a step to that next like elite elite level, then maybe we're talking about Carolina differently next year but to me it just kind of feels like the hangover season where a lot of talent in the room but no just the elite isn't there Mm -hmm. and so it's sort of a you know it's sort of a a lesson in team building is would you rather have a bunch of b plus a minus guys or a bunch of b minus guys and three or four a plus guys the toronto maple leafs sort of team building and i don't think there's a right answer it's you know all kinds of different teams win the cup but it is a lesson in, in getting to the playoffs and breaking through so mm-hmm. interesting times in carolina let's go to the team that they lost to last year i know we have a couple of new york ranger fans in the audience and they like to chirp me whenever i chirp them i like i say all the time i am just jealous rangers fans at the momentum with which your rebuild has occurred. 
while I suffer through, I don't know, three, four rebuilds at this point, every seated tear down of the studs. I've heard that more in the last decade than you can imagine. Anyway, the New York Rangers coming off a loss um, of their own in the playoffs, but by all accounts, would you say um, ticked about uh, above their coverage last year in terms of expectations? Yeah, I, I think that there was a, they were a team with a playoff expectation, no doubt. That's why you make the move from David Quinn to Gerard Gallant. But, you know, to, to get to the conference finals, which which is really funny, and I was thinking about this before we, we started recording, right? Like, as much, thing, as, as much as things change, they stay the same. Still sure. the Game 7 Rangers. They went two series to Game 7, just like they did in the Henrik Lundqvist era. You know, so... I think for the Rangers this year, the expectation, I'm sure, is to get back to where they were, if not win a Stanley Cup. I think their expectation is to win a Stanley Cup with this team. But the trap that they got to avoid this year is if and when they get to the playoffs, you know, if they if they stay healthy, because I don't think the regular season is going to be the issue. You're going to see a drop off of Igor Shesterkin. I think he had like a top four statistical season all time for a goaltender. It was on par, as we said last week, with like, Dominic Hasek, you know, in 97, 98 and, you know, Carey Price when he won the Hart Trophy. So you're going to see some regression. It's still going to be elite, but anything less than last year is going to look like a massive regression just because of how good he played. But and Kreider as well, for that matter. I don't think Kreider's netting 53 or whatever this season, but, you know, they'll get there if they stay healthy. It's avoiding those game sevens, avoiding getting down in series because they're a young team. They're a fresh team, but at the same time that wears on you in playoff hockey. I don't care how conditioned you are. I don't care how mentally tough you are to continue to go to seven game series in each, in each round and everything like that. It is tough on a organization. And we've seen that, you know, in the Henrik Lundqvist years with the New York Rangers. So I think for them to kind of get over that hump this year is to continue that elite play that they, that you saw, you know, for stretches during the season last year in the first two games against Tampa Bay in the conference finals last year, sustain that and and get through the playoffs. Like some of these elite teams, right? Like Tampa Bay doesn't really get hung up in the playoffs. And, you know, in the past couple of years that they won the Stanley cup, Colorado didn't get hung up for most of the playoffs. You know, they, they had a tough battle with, with uh, St. Louis in the second round there, but they ran over Edmonton. They ran over Nashville and they ran over Tampa Bay in a couple of games. So, you know, that's maturity. That's going to be from these younger guys just getting more experience in the playoffs. I think they'll be all right. I have them to win the Metro division this year. I think, you know, Igor Sturkin's the best goaltender in the world right now until proven otherwise. He was nominated for a Hart Trophy, so he can carry them. I think the addition of Vinny Trocek's going to help them. I think he's going to be an upgrade over Ryan Strom in the sense that Ryan Strom kind of became a scapegoat for a lot of the things of the New York Rangers these past couple of seasons. Had great yeah, chemistry. A very popular name to talk about in the yep. media is just kind of like, oh, they just trade Strom. Yep. And, and, you know, he's one of those guys that's like he, he took a lot of flack. He's out in Anaheim where there's going to be less pressure on him. But, you know, Trocek comes in and brings a little bit more of a physical edge to that line. Something that really the Rangers have lacked on, on Panarin's wing since Jesper Foss was there. And he was a guy that the Rangers loved pairing with Artemi Panarin and Ryan Strom for those first mm-hmm. couple of years. You know, he brought that physical forechecking edge to that line. They lose him. They kind of struggled to find that fit. You bring in Vinny Trocek, and now he does it from the pivot position. So I like Trocek. I like the fit there. They're going to be all right. I think it's going to come down to, like I said, getting, you know, getting ahead of things. Stop playing from behind. Stop playing like, you know, your hair's on fire, like you have to come back, like you're being chased. Play from ahead, and I think that's the big theme for the Rangers this year. 
I don't think Chris Jury really cares um, about the Trocheck contract or anything like that because, quite honestly, from from what I have heard reading the tea leaves, he's not here in you know two or three seasons if they don't win the Stanley Cup anyway. It's a regime change, especially with you know sure. some of the guys they have to pay. So I think now is the chance for the New York Rangers to go seize it and win a Stanley Cup. I have them to win the division, but I think you know we're eighty-two games plus a couple of couple of months away from that. So we'll see. I, I agree with you. I also have them to win the division this year. I don't think that's quite a hot take uh, by any means. But is this a year where, come playoff time, you, we could like a guy like Braden Schneider could become a household name much sooner than later for this yeah. team? I think he's the new age Dan Girardi, a guy that didn't really put up a lot of points, but plays so physical, block shots, you know. And the Rangers have had those guys, Dan Girardi, Mark Stahl, defensive defensemen that, you know, have outkicked their coverage, to use your, you know, cliche from before, just by being, you know, that type of guy that stays at home, blocks a ton of shots, plays in that system really well. I don't, I wouldn't doubt by the end of this year that we're talking about Braden Schneider in the same way that we talk about Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak, you know, across town from them on Long Island as being a shutdown defensive pairing. No doubt. No doubt. I like, I just, I really like the kid. I really like following his development um, and sort of excited to see him get, get some run in that defense core that sort of feels like the Sabres, very young, but extremely, extremely talented. And if they can keep them together, granted they have Truba locked up uh, till I think 2097. Uh, <laughs> if they, if they keep that core together, they're, they're going to be a very, very talented team, and they don't necessarily need Shesterkin to be all-world again. They can just be – like, let him settle into whatever really good is. Maybe that's 925 for the whole season rather than feels like 975 for four out of every five games. It's absolutely crazy numbers. But you mentioned Pulak and, and Pelic across the, across the way there. So let's go to the New York Islanders. Mm-hmm. By all accounts, one of the more disappointing seasons last year. I feel like you, you, as a you, if you were an Islanders fan, could admit um, and and needed something to happen. Granted, they had a lot of excuses: COVID, road trip, new building, new this, new that. But the core was relatively similar. That core is still there, and they didn't didn't change a whole lot. NRD, does that concern you, or is is this team ready to prove that last year was sort of an anomaly in that division? It concerns me because I think their issues went a lot deeper than Barry Trotz. You know, he was kind of the scapegoat for them. They blame the defensive system, but they bring you know his right hand man in Lane Lambert who's gotten a lot of head coaching looks. So I think mm-hmm. the Islanders have the Islanders owed Lane Lambert this opportunity. They kind of not blocked, but they suggestively steered Lane Lambert away from a lot of head coaching roles around the league with the promise that he'd become the head coach of the New York Islanders. He is now. So this is his time. This is his time to shine. They didn't really address the offensive issues. I think you get another year under your belt of, you know, Oliver Wallstrom, who's been streaky, and, you know, Anthony Bavillier, who's been streaky. You bring in Alexander Romanoff on the blue line, who's a, you know, a puck-moving defenseman, but I don't think he moves any needles for anybody in league circles. So they make that move. 
they give up, you know, the 13th overall pick, a premium pick that they could have, you know, continued to add to that prospect pool. They clearly think that last year is a fluke. I'm just not so sure they they're able to prove that it was, you know, they didn't. We talked about them lacking the ability to score goals. They have the goaltending. Elias Sorokin is going to have a bounce back year. Not that he really needs a bounce back year. He was solid last year. I think a lot of their downfalls were losing games 2-1, you know, like he was as solid as he could be. He's going to have a great year this year. I just don't know if they're going to be able to score enough to keep up with the pace, but that's kind of been the concern with the New York Islanders for, you know, since Tavares left. So to answer your question, no, I don't think they've done enough really to address it. Now they could prove me wrong. They could prove a lot of people wrong with Lane Lambert, and maybe he brings a little bit more of an offensive style of coaching to that team, but I still think they're just lacking a little bit in the department of, hey, we're going to go out and beat you 5-4 every, you know, once in a while. And teams need to be able to do that. We've seen all the elite teams that have won Stanley Cups or have contended over the past couple of seasons have that ability to go out and beat teams 5-4, beat teams 6-3. And I don't think the Islanders have that game-breaking ability. Well, on that same note, a lot of their offense runs through Matt Barzell. Are you concerned? I don't maybe not. Maybe concerns the wrong word. What does it say about the Islanders and the, and the state of that organization and their future, sort of where they feel like they're going? That he is still, as of yet, unex- not extended past next summer, where he will be an RFA. Like you, do you? Is that on Barzal more than it is the Islanders? I don't want to blame one or the other or either, really. It's it's Lou Amarello's style to be very, you know, nonchalant about these things, very close to the vest, very, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, right. and, and for all we know, that deal could have been done two and a half years ago and just nobody's going to announce it. Right. Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing. So you always got to proceed with caution when you're talking Lou Amarello and the deals that he makes. Very true. I do think there's some open wounds still and some PTSD from the John Tavares situation to where it's like, Hey, we're going on the last year of this guy's contract. Why isn't he signed by now? He should have been locked up a long time ago. I'd say, yeah, I understand that mindset. I'd still say proceed with caution, knowing Lou Lamorello and and how he does business. But yeah, I think it's a little bit of cause for concern when you say after losing John Tavares in in the fashion that they did, why you don't lock up Matt Barzell for whatever he really wants now, because he's the only guy that's driven offense on that organization, on that team for, for better part of three or four years now. So reward your guys in house and then add, they haven't added and they still haven't rewarded their guys in house. So there's cause for concern, although I won't, you know, hit the alarm yet because of, you know, knowing who's in charge of that organization. But yeah, man, it's kind of weird to me knowing everything that the Islanders organization has been through with Tavares, that Mike Barzell wouldn't have been locked up by now. It wouldn't have been announced. It wouldn't have been signed, sealed, delivered, settled. He's a New York Islander for the next eight years. And he's worth every penny. I mean, he really is. He's an exciting player. I enjoy watching him play the game. He's a number one center slash, you know, playmaker in this league. I think he, he gets hurt at times on the stat sheet, largely in part to guys that just can't score around him. That's going to be what I'm looking for this year is because if the Islanders realize that last year was not a fluke and this team just isn't built for today's NHL and they need to go find ways to score more, sort of addition by subtraction there, they can kind of set themselves up 
a la Jack Eichel with mm-hmm. prospects and picks with a guy team team rights RFA next year who was a number one center for any team in this league. So that's why I say maybe that's why he remains unsigned is because they Valley. need to know who they are because that trade piece could potentially loom large. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned guys being rewarded in-house. Two guys that have been rewarded time and time again in-house are Gino Malkin and Chris Letang, mm-hmm. both signing with the Penguins this year after we kind of didn't know what was going to happen there. I, I heard Malkin was gone. I heard Malkin was New York Ranger. Yeah. I, like, to the point of almost tweeting it. I and, uh, it, it was very close. Spots, but, it was very, um, it was very close. He and, and you know what, Pittsburgh. There was a very real chance. As we said, you know, a couple weeks ago, that Johnny Gaudreau was a Pittsburgh Penguin in that whole kind of musical chair. So Pittsburgh looked into things this off season, but they're running it back. Which I mean, can you blame them? They've had a lot of success with those three three guys wearing black and gold. So you know they're going to give it one more shot. Could you have said that they could have beat the New York Rangers in the first round last year? Absolutely. They lost, you know, Tristan Jari. Louis Domingue stole a couple games, but then he also gave up, you know, two very important games. So, like, they took the Rangers to the brink. They were up 3-1. They kind of choked. Leads you to believe that, hey, let's run this back because we had it in our grasp. So, we'll see. I mean, Geno Malkin's a hell of a talent. Sidney Crosby just continues to age like a fine wine. Just we, we talk about him less and less each year, and I think he just keeps getting better. He keeps getting wiser, which is like crazy to say for a guy who plays with the largest hockey IQ in the league. But, you know, I like you said, I, I'm really interested to see what happens when they reward guys like Latang and Mullican, and they're like, we're going to run it back with a group of 35-plus-year-olds, you know, or 33-year-olds, when they've, they haven't gotten it done in some odd years now. So A lot of them. I mean yeah. – Jason Zucker's 30, Brian Russ is 30, Jack Petrie's 34, Brian Dumoulin's 31, Jan Ruta's 32. Like, they're not getting any under over there in Pittsburgh. And, and uh, you know, the, the new the home of the new best contract in hockey after the Mal- or excuse me, the, uh, the McKinnon extension kicks in will be uh, Jake Gensel yes. at $6 million a year. Uh, one of my favorite players in the entire NHL. And yeah, he plays with Sidney Crosby a little bit, so I get it. But mm-hmm. man, can that guy play hockey up there with IQ wise with Drysaddle and, and Crosby all by himself? So getting old in Pittsburgh, I think. But we, we say that every year, and somehow they find a way. Mm-hmm. So I, if if you're telling me Pittsburgh and and New York are playing again, and the playoffs and Pittsburgh takes that series, won't be surprised. Absolutely. You know, I could absolutely see that happening. Um, before we move to the Pacific NRD, I want to talk to our uh, talk about our friends over at Better Help. Online therapy um, is huge for me, and I want to say this: this Better Help is a sponsor of this episode, and this is a word from our sponsor, Better Help. They're not a sponsor to me anymore; they're family. Better Help has been was something that I've, I've used now for about a month and a half. And it's been tremendous. It's been a tremendous service. I sort of wanted to dip my toe into therapy, um, take care of the mental health side of things, especially after the, you know, the, the last couple of years I've had with my, my parents passing and a lot of stuff there. 
BetterHelp has been there for me every step of the way and, and made it easier than ever. Um, basically decided I'm going to try this out, you know, and, and see where we go. I didn't have any expectations, didn't have any uh, idea really of what I was getting myself into. And that's the, what they're there for. They, they basically give you an outline. You say, what are you dealing with? Give me your, you know, your symptoms. Give me your, your ideas. Give me, if you do have a goal, give me your goal and we'll kind of tailor a plan that suits your needs. And that's where BetterHelp has been absolutely phenomenal. Feeling more like myself, feeling more confident, much less anxious, taking care of anxiety. And so BetterHelp is just absolutely, bar none, the best thing I could have, I, I could have done to, to get through this. And hopefully people out there, if you're kind of looking to dip your toe, thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp, it's a great option. Super convenient, super accessible, super affordable, and entirely online. You get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. When you're ready to feel at the top of your mental health game, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash stove today to get 10% off your first month. Again, BetterHelp.com slash stove for 10% off your first month month um and our dude, we talked about pittsburgh we talked about new york and philly and uh both new york teams do you want to before we move on anything quick on the devils blue jackets or capitals yeah that, i mean uh, touch on? the columbus blue jackets retained patrick line and they added johnny gaudreau and i think that's the big wild card in the metropolitan division this year what they can be now they lose alexander texier who I think came into the league with a lot of promise and then fizzled last year, had a lot of issues off the ice and uh, you know, I wish him the best and hopefully he gets, you know, the help that he needs for what he's battling. But yeah. like, you know, they're, they're a wild card. Let's see what they can do in that. They keep both the goaltenders with a lot of talk about Merzlikens and Corpus Allo, and they end up, you know, having both in the fold still. And like their team that I can easily see sneaking in, and then getting hot again and then sweeping a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning like they did a couple of years ago because they were able to do it with the guys they had, you know, two seasons ago or three seasons ago. And they've only gotten better on paper since. I mean, they signed an 100-point player in Johnny Gaudreau, and they have Patrick Laine retained for another year or another eight years or whatever with Patrick uh, with Johnny Gaudreau on his line now. So I'm excited to see what Columbus can do. I think the only thing that they lack is the depth up the middle to compete. Jack Roslevic, great center. I think, though, they're they're very heavy on the wings. But what can they do up the middle? It, it's very true. Very true. And they bring in a guy like Eric Branson, bring in Goudreau, like you mentioned. I think Boone Jenner is healthier sooner than later. Like, if, if everything comes together, there's a lot of sort of what if, what if, what if in Columbus. If everything comes together, that's, that's a new – Top three team in that division. Absolutely. Without bar none. If they get the goaltending they need. Um, so a team much like, I mentioned Buffalo all the time, much like Buffalo and Detroit and Ottawa, a team that if things come together, and some will, some won't, that's a, that's a dangerous team for sure. Um, let's, go to the, let's go to the Pacific. Let's go out west. You mentioned the team that Johnny Goudreau came from, Calgary. How are we – feeling about the post-Boudreaux era and 
for that matter, the post uh, Kachuk era in Calgary. Yeah, I mean, you can't if you you know it's a it's an A B statement, right? Like if I told you part A, of the sentence was they lost Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau. You'd say, well, they're rebuilding in Calgary. You know, suck for Bedard, whatever you want to say. You know, suck hard for Connor Bedard, right? But then the B statement is they added, while losing those two guys, Jonathan Huberdeau, Mackenzie Weger, Nazem Kadri, Sonny Milano on a PTO. They still have Jacob Markstrom in the net. They still have Elias Lindholm. Then you're like, all right, you know, can Calgary compete again? They did about as good as they could for for two guys that were going to leave that organization no matter what. I, I mean, like I said, if I told you the first part of that sentence, you'd say they're destined for a rebuild. They're going to be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. But they added a lot of pieces, and they Tree Living said, listen, we're going to compete with this club. I think the rest of this team deserves it, and this team is bigger than one or two guys. So he rewards them by going out and continuing to add. I think they'll be all right. You're going to see a regression from Nazem Kadri not playing with, you know, Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog, the guys he was playing with in Colorado. He's not going to put up a 90-point year. But, you know, I think they're going to have the ability to compete in the Pacific. They'll make the playoffs, in my opinion. I just don't see them, you know, getting over that hump again this year. I think it's going to take another year for that team to gel. When you add all those new pieces, I mean, you're talking about the turnover rate of, you know, five guys I just mentioned who are new players that are expected to key contri- to be key contributors, I think it's going to take some time for them to gel and mesh and to, to return to being a cup contender. Totally agree with you. But you're very interested to, you know, to see how Huberdeau makes that his team and how Kadri makes that his team because they're going to be good, right? They're, they're, they're still a talented roster of veteran guys, but it's, it's now are they – New York or Carolina, now when they need scoring, where are they going to turn to? And can Huberdeau be that next-level scoring threat that, you know, that Johnny Goudreau was? So mm-hmm. an interesting team to see what happens uh, this year with a lot of new faces. But let's go to my favorite team in this division. I, I loved them last year. They proved me right. Love them this year. That is the L.A. Kings. Just the the poster child for being bad for a little bit, drafting uh, an incredible stable of prospects, and now finally starting to see some return on a bunch of young guys. And for you know, for that matter, also adding uh, some veterans that make a lot of sense, or, or having guys coming in like a Philip Deneau and Kevin Fiala, who are old in the LA Kings roster timeline and there's not even 30 yet. Mm-hmm. So just that's a team that I can see taking a huge, huge step and being second in that division to Calgary or Edmonton wouldn't be, wouldn't surprise me at all. What do you like about LA, LA that, that, or, or maybe don't like? No, I like LA actually. I, I, you know, kind of want to say this quietly and, almost like embarrassed just in case they, they don't, I have them to win the division this year in the Pacific. Um, I think that they can get hot at the right time. We saw it last year. They still have Jonathan quick in the net who, you know, all world goaltender at his prime. I think he's a little more inconsistent nowadays, but still can be really good when he is on his game. I think Kevin Fiala is going to earn every penny of that contract. And I, and I think that the guy, the, the, 
the keystone piece in that organization's rebuild, Quinton Byfield, QB. We haven't really even seen him hit his full potential yet in the National Hockey League. And if he does, I mean, watch out, especially when you have the wingers in place. You have Philip Deneau, great depth up the middle there. You still have Drew Doughty on the blue line, who's going to be healthy this year, hopefully. Hopefully healthy for the full season. But they're an exciting club. I just think it's one of those teams where it's like, watch out if all those younger guys hit their stride and hit their peak potential. I don't think we've seen it yet from that team. And I think that's what makes them so scary. Now, I think they're going to be, I have them to win the division. I think it's going to be a close race between them and the Las Vegas, or the, the Las Vegas, which is your thing to say, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. But the Vegas Golden Knights, I think they're going to be locked, you know, the two of those teams in a battle to win the division. But I really like LA. I, I really do. And I would not be surprised to see them get hot and have those young guys hit their peak potential at the right time and, and shock the world and win that division in the Pacific. Yeah. Their, their biggest problem is defense. They have Dowdy. But not, not a lot there mm-hmm. outside of Dowdy until Brent Clark comes in and tears this league up. I just don't know if he's ready yet. They're a team um, that needs to go and acquire Jacob Chikrin ASAP. Exactly. They are a veteran defenseman away from, I think, competing. In, making the playoffs is one thing. Mm-hmm. Going to the next level in the playoffs is, is they're a defenseman or two away. And not just a Brent Clark, a, a guy who's 27, 28, 29, 30, who's played in the league and and is a, a really, really good compliment to uh, uh, Drew Doughty or, or Matt Roy. Like that, they, they need some, some depth on the blue line that they don't currently have uh, right now. So that's my concern. But if they want to win game 6-4, they're certainly set up to do so. Mm-hmm. Let's go across town. Anaheim Ducks, we said last year on this very podcast that one of the L.A. teams was going to make the playoffs. We were correct, NRD, as we normally are. Anaheim has maybe my favorite prospect in the game right now. That is Mason McTavish. They have a lot of young guys coming in that are awesome players. You, know, you have Trevor Zegris, who's great, obviously. Max Jones, uh, McTavish. A lot of fun guys. Jimmy Drysdale, he's only 20. Feels like we've been talking about him for five years now. Mm-hmm. Another exciting team. A lot of young talent infused. A lot of vets. Uh, Silverberg and, and Adam Enrique. Like, what what... What about the Anaheim Ducks gets you excited for that team and maybe that they can compete and make the playoffs this year? What makes me excited about the Anaheim Ducks and why I do believe they will make the playoffs this year, that's like an NRT lock guarantee. I think so. I really do. Is that you they, have five teams in the Pacific making the playoffs here. There's a good chance there is five teams in the Pacific making the playoffs this year. I think that the Anaheim Ducks – have that young core that's exciting and fun, and they can outgun teams with their with their you know offensive prowess. They have Ryan Strom there, a guy who's going to have a lot of less lot less pressure on himself for the reasons that we mentioned when we were talking about the Rangers before. And then they add John Klingberg on a one year seven million dollar deal, where they have a great piece to if for some reason they're out of it, move at the deadline for a first round plus. But also if they go for it, he's a hell of a defenseman, and if they're in the mix. He might be the missing piece there, a an upgrade over Josh Manson, if you will, to make that run for the Stanley Cup, you know, the playoffs and, and maybe deep into the playoffs. They have John Gibson, hopefully he has a bounce back year this year. But I just think they're I think we've seen it and, and there's a growing theme out of a lot of these teams that we've mentioned that I've you know I've been talking about for the past, you know, thirty some odd minutes now is that 
younger teams have gotten hot at the right time. Sure, there's the stalwarts of the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning, but we've seen what the Rangers can do. We've seen, you know, younger teams. We've seen Florida, who a little bit more veteran, but they have the younger guys there getting hot at the right time. They have, you know, Spencer Knight came onto the scene last year and really propelled them for a couple of games. You have the LA Kings last year who got hot, younger team, right? So, like, I think you have these teams that are young and exciting, and I think they're just on the cusp of making that move and contending. And, and the Ducks are one of them. Obviously, like you said, Mason McTavish is my favorite prospect in the National Hockey League as well. And I think he's got a real opportunity to, you know, have a full season of productivity. He did in his nine-game tryout last year before they sent him back to the OHL. Um, I really think that they're a team that adding a Klingberg and adding a Ryan Strom is only going to help them and help a team that was really in the thick of things till the deadline last year anyway. So I think that they're enough to propel them past the deadline and continuing to, you know, fight for a playoff spot. Totally agree. Totally agree. That's our problem with this podcast. We agree too much. Yeah. Too smart. Yep. We're just a couple of hockey minds that, that, that like what they see and, and aren't afraid to say it. We just agree on too much. Mm-hmm. I, I should come up with some defense. I'm like, Anaheim's going to fucking suck. This yeah. Year. Uh, okay. I'll go with a team that I think is going to fucking suck. How about the Vegas Golden Knights? Ooh, do we do disagree? There Perfect. You. Perfect. I think that team is headed for oh, potential disaster. Who's going to play goalie? Who's going to play goalie is my question. Not Brossard. I mean, is Logan Thompson ready? Is he an NHL goalie? Aiden, Aiden Hill. Hill an NHL goalie? Laurent Brossard, he's hurt. That team is going to have to win 6-4. Mark Stone's not 100%. They have cap issues. Jack Eichel is – he's Jack Eichel, but is he 100% yet? So that, that'll be our disagreement. I, I can see things happening again in, in Vegas where they don't bounce back, much like the Islanders last year it is not a fluke. And now I know that's easy to – disagree with and, and I'll, I'll devil's advocate myself they obviously had a lot going on last year with people hurt i just don't know if everybody's 100 percent yet now your counterpoint is an argument my counterpoint is phil castle's going to put up 70 plus points on the wing of jack eichel <laughs> that's my counterpoint that would be a blast you know it'd be exciting to see that the memes would be fantastic the discourse around that would be great you know for what we've seen out of camp so far for the first couple of days, seems like they're getting along great in Las Vegas, you know, perfect place for Phil Kessel to be exciting. Um, I think he puts up a lot of points playing next to Jack Eichel. I think that Alex Petrangelo is an elite defenseman and, you know, he's going to prove that again this year, you know? Yeah. The goaltending question is, is looming and I don't have an answer for you there, Brett. And I agree that could be their downfall. And I think they really regret trading Marc-Andre Fleury now. Really, really regret trading Marc-Andre Fleury. But, you know, I I just think they're going to – I really do think they're going to score seven goals a game. I think Phil Kessel and and Jack Eichel and William Carlson and, you know, Jonathan Marchessault, the guys that they have there, I think are going to be able to contribute at enough of a pace to keep them afloat till maybe the deadline where they address the goaltending issues. So we've seen the goaltending carousel move and move and move every year now for the past couple of seasons. I think if they can get to February, you know, with 
mediocre goaltending play at best and and win some games and be over 500, I think they're going to be quite all right because they'll make that move at the deadline when they have more, you know, cap space and they have that, you know, daily accrual bounce up to what, like four and a half million, I think they should have at the deadline. Plus that doesn't count any LTIR situation they could have with like an Alec Martinez who will be back this year, but maybe, you know, he goes back in LTIR. So like, I think that they're going to be in a good spot. I think that if they can just, you know, shouts to Braveheart, I think if they can hold, hold the line, I think if they can hold just till February when they can go out and acquire a goaltender, I think Vegas is going to be a team to beat in the Pacific Division. There it is. All it is is can you can you maintain enough of a position and not get in too deep of a hole that you can make the move and, and get there? And, and maybe they do it earlier. Like some teams, like remember when Toffoli was traded in, in January? You know, a month and a month and a half ahead of the deadline, mm-hmm. and kind of set Calgary on fire, yep. so to speak. How about that? Nice, uh, nice pun. There you go. The flames on fire. That, there, I, I can I can see that happening, and and Jack Eichel and the crew shutting me right up, and that would be welcomed. But a, a team that I don't think needs any uh, any help at the deadline. Maybe they do. They always seem to need something. But I think Edmonton could could. Be the best team in hockey this year. No, they have the best player in hockey. They have the arguably the second best player in hockey. I, I'll, I'll agree with people out there that Drysaddle is top ten, but maybe not top two. Mm-hmm. Evander Kane, uh, a reborn Evander Kane, if you will, and just guys that know how to win. I'm no Cody CC fan, but. He looks different on that team than people making fun of his charts all day. So Edmonton's a team that they're going to be good. They have that advantage of, of being in Edmonton and that kind of that crowd that's re-energized. They have the, the old jerseys coming back for a couple of games that I personally hate. The uh, the Royal the Blue. UFO, the, the, you would know the UFO. Uh, the, oh, the, uh, the, the Millennium Falcon. The jersey. oil, yeah. The oil, the, the steel exactly. oil. The steel exactly. Yep. Um, but that's a team. I mean, they're going to be you, – you know what they are. You know their deal. You know who's good in the puck. And, and can you stop them is the question. And, and they got – You know what they do have? They have Jack Campbell in the net, which and, solves the question. Literally that, took the words out of my mouth. Yep. They have, you know, knock on wood, consistent goaltending, or at least a guy that can play 70 games if he's healthy and give Stu Skinner the other 12 and – here we go. Now, now they, do, they don't even have to win game 6-4. They can win those 3-2 games. And that's what I think makes that team so dangerous and, and so just ready for a year where you say, okay, Edmonton's the new Western Conference king. Mm-hmm. Colorado, I, I, we talked about it last week, that's a step-back team potentially. Yeah, they just don't, They don't have the same horses that they did. Mm-hmm. And it'll it'll continue to do so as McKinnon's salary takes effect, right? So, I just I think Edmonton's the taste of the league, and I, I will probably shout to NRD bets. I will probably throw a wager on that to win the Stanley Cup before the season starts. Let me see what the uh, if, you, if you wouldn't mind filling some airtime. Let me see what the odds are. You want me to sing for the people? I don't think they want to hear that. Um, no, I agree with your point on Edmonton. I could see them being really good. It's just you know. It seems like every year we talk about Edmonton being potentially the best team in hockey. They've had the two best players in hockey, you know, arguably the second best, but definitely the best player in hockey. 
They've had them for how long now? And we keep saying this and they keep falling short of expectations. They did make the conference finals this year, but they got trounced by a really great Colorado club that went on to win the Stanley cup, obviously. So, you know, can't fault them there per se, but I just feel like we've spent so much breath and so much air talking about Edmonton being, you know, good. And it seems like every year something happens where they're not. And I just think that until I'm proven otherwise, I sit back and I say, well, you know, show me I'm from Missouri. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that the Edmonton's at that point for me where they're that team that I'm done talking about them. I kind of have to see it in order to believe yeah. it because they've had, listen, they've had McDavid and Drysaddle forever and they've added a Vander Kane and Jesse Pulley RV is going to be a guy that I'm sure they'll move if they have the right trade offer. So you lose him, but you have a Vander Kane there and you have whoever you bring in and a change of scenery deal for Pulley RV. You have Jack Campbell in the net who started off great for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but then got hurt and fell apart. So, you know, I still think that they're a team that has to prove it to me. And, you know, for those reasons, I'm Felix Shark Tank. For those reasons, I'm out. For those reasons, I'm out on the Edmonton Oilers. Um, not not buying a 10% stake for five grand. I just can't do it right now until I see that team sustain that success, carry over what they did last year, and bring it into this year. If they start off slow, oh boy. Very fair. They are plus 1,200, by the way, to win the Stanley Cup along the likes of Carolina at plus 1,200, Florida at plus 1,000, Tampa Bay plus 1,200, Toronto plus 1,000, and Colorado the favorite at plus 400. That's a screaming stay away yep. for me at plus 400. Um, I'm just kind of looking through the odds here. This is great, great radio. It's a team. How about Washington at plus 4,000? There's nope. some value there. Nope. Stay away? Yeah, I just don't see it. I think Washington's one of those teams that's going to – I think they're done, right? Like, I think yeah, at this point – kind of caught up. I think at this point their, their playoffs, their Super Bowl, their Stanley Cup is just watching Ovechkin chase Gretzky's record. I think that's mm-hmm. how, you know, this era of Washington Capitals hockey ends. I think they just – I think they just fall short every year, but you know it'll be exciting to watch them because Ovechkin's going to pass Wayne Gretzky in three, hey, four years. Sales tickets just the same. Yep. You don't have a Stanley Cup win. They got one a couple of years ago. They, they they're all right for a while. Sales tickets will really break the record. Um, NRD. Any other team you want to talk about in the West? Maybe that's San Jose, Seattle, or Vancouver. Before we get out of here. No, I think we're going to have another time to talk about those. I'm glad that the season's back. Cold Stove are going to be coming at you. You know, as we said last week, definitely one a week here. But, you know, we have the Twitter space thing that we might experiment a little bit more with. So we're going to have time to talk oh, yeah. those teams. And uh, I am I'm, I'm feel very secure. I tweeted this out before, uh, before the show this, earlier on this week. I have the Kings winning the Pacific, the Dallas Stars winning the Central, the New York Rangers winning the Metro, and... I said that I believe the Toronto Maple Leafs winning the Atlantic and I feel pretty damn secure in those, those predictions right now until unless injuries happen until I'm sw- persuaded otherwise. I, I love it. Let me go. Uh, well, let me go Edmonton. Edmonton, Minnesota Rangers. Maple Leafs. Yeah. Oilers. Wild Rangers, Maple Leafs are my four division winners this year. Can't wait though. Me, me neither. Yeah, season on Cold Stove Podcast. Yeah. NRD, thank you for hopping on. Where can the people find you? 
at NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. Not leaving. Never will. Maybe we'll get some shirts. Maybe we'll get some, you know, anonymous figures. Shout outs to uh, Jordan Belfort. I'm not leaving. I just like where, like where in the world is NRD? We'll do like a Carmen San Diego thing with your little, uh, little NRD logo sometimes. Sometime. Don't hate it. And you know, you never know what happens in this world, Brett. Maybe there'll be an opportunity to uh, do a little cold stove meetup. Maybe you'll meet NRD one day. All the people how out there that? listening. How about that? A little tease for later this year. Uh, I'm going to Buffalo on a uh, Monday, meeting up with some old pals over there. It'll be Buffalo Sabres. So excited about that. I'll have a report next week live from the road. Maybe we'll get on a Twitter space if anything happens or if anything's breaking. Happy to do some, uh, some content. And keep an eye out. Cold Stove, once a week at least through the NHL regular season. I am Brett Merriman at Schmerriman on both Twitter and Instagram. We are Cold Stove Podcast at Cold Stove Pod on both of those platforms. And we'll see you guys next week. See you.